Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Mixing faith with the hearing of the, the word of the Lord. Mixing faith with the hearing of the word. Now, um, just to quickly recap from the previous session. Last time we focused on the mirror of the word and we, we dealt with um, the issue of what you hear and how you hear. So when the word comes to you, it's very important how you receive the word. The word must be received according to specific acceptable principle or protocol. So you could be in the environment of powerful word, but if you could hear it, but if it's received inaccurately, the intended potential power inherent within the word itself will not be accessed in your life, not because preacher was poor, not because of the lack of grace, will not have its intended effect simply because in the manner in which it was received. So how you receive is very, very, very important. Just to isolate the factors, we spoke last week. When you hear, hear the word with understanding. Jesus said, hear and understand. And understanding is the capacity to intelligibly comprehend and actively do the commandments of the Lord. Okay. Secondly, we said that you must receive the word with Humility, James 1, 21, right? Laying aside all filthiness and wickedness. It says lay, lay filthiness and wickedness aside and then receive the engrafted word with humility, that word that is able to save your soul, right? The word is able to save dependent on how it's received. So you receive it with humility, right? Receive it with uh, humility is the meekness, the quiet disposition where you divest yourself of any opinion, right? And you submit to the truth of what you are hearing in terms of the word of the Lord. Thirdly, receive the word with reverence, fear, and high esteem. Right? So when you receive the word of the Lord, you have huge respect for it. You don't dismiss it as something light. You literally tremble. The, the scripture says that although he dwells in the highest of the heavens, yet to this man does the Lord look, to him who trembles when I speak. Right? So that you have this fear and reverence within you whenever you hear the word of the Lord. Fourthly, we said that when you hear the word of the Lord, it must be received as God's word, not as the word of Men, quoting First Thessalonians chapter 2, right? Um, Paul says, I'm, I'm thankful to God that when you receive the word, you Thessalonians, you received it not as the word of men, but for what it truly is, the word of God, which performs its mighty work in you. The word only performs 
its mighty work in you if you receive it as the word of God and not the opinion of the preacher, not the viewpoint of a human, right? So you, you receive it as the word of God. But also we said this, to embrace the message, you have to embrace the messenger. To receive as true what he says as reflective of the word of God, you have to then also embrace him who comes as the message, speaking the message to you. And the verse I left with you, uh, Habakkuk, was it Haggai 1.13, right, where he says, I, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message. So when the person has become the embodiment of what he speaks or preaches. And then also we said, we analyzed Acts 17, remember the Bereans, right? The Berean Jews were more noble-minded than the Jews at Thessalonica. How? In that they received, they heard the word. So there's this idea of receptivity. They received the word. How? They were more, nob more noble-minded. They received the word with eagerness. Right? Are you eager tonight? Right? At least you're on your faces. <laughs> okay. Are you eager tonight? So when you come in, it's not a drudgery or a drag. What you're saying is I'm positioning myself. My heart and my mind is open. Can't wait to hear what God's going to say. Right? You can't be saying, oh, it's Friday night. Let me drag myself and see what happens. Hmm? No, you, you come with expectancy. You come with eagerness. You can't wait to hear what God, new things that we're going to discover in the Word, new things about God. Now, the Bible says there were more noble. And I believe God is wanting to craft within this house a more noble son. There are those who are noble. It's fine to be noble, but we want to be more noble. Minded. Our mentality is we have this great degree of receptivity. They receive the word with eagerness, comma, examining the scriptures. When? Everyone say daily. Come on, say it louder. Daily. daily. Say it louder. Daily. Now, how was your week this past week? How was your week in the word this past week? You see, let me just say this to you. Brethren, if at the end of the day, you don't do what I say, you are not more noble-minded. Pointless us only coming here and your only exposure to the word is on a Friday night or a Sunday morning. If you are not rigorous in your daily pursuit of the scriptures, what we're reading is simply abstract and does not make any practical sense. Amen? So how was your week? Answer in your heart. Did you daily invest? Not fleetingly. You walk. You must. I feel out of sorts if I don't engage the scriptures. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word. And let me just say this. You neglect the scriptures. The doors are wide open. For all kinds of vices. And vexes. What does James 1.21 say? Lay aside all what? Say filthiness. Right? So lay aside all filthiness and secondly all wickedness. Wickedness in the Greek is malicious intent. The idea to injure another one. Right? So you lay aside all filthiness and all wickedness. Then you receive the 
implanted word which is able to save. The word is able to save. Where does you see it? With humility. Pause. You have laid aside wickedness and immoral behavior. Not so? But so it's like the corollary, the, the converse rather is, you can reason it out, not engaging the word, not with humility and daily engaging the word. Those two dynamics grow. Wickedness and filthiness in your life will increase. Amen? When I was at university, I bought a book um, at an, a student Christian association camp that I attended. I think it was my sec- first or second year. One of the best books I ever bought, it was a John 5, with the, the text Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me. And all that book was, was every book of the Bible with questions, no answers. And you had to find the answers by searching the scriptures. <laughs> a powerful book. I think it's still, still on the market. The International Varsity Press or the publishers, IVP, I still remember it. If you want to buy it, okay. Um, so, and they search daily. So, how you receive the word is very, very Im- important. Now, I'm not going to go through the entirety of this recap because it's a bit lengthy. I'm going to get straight into tonight's study. Suffice it to say that we had a big mirror here last week, Friday, remember? And, and James says, he who looks, um, he says it like this, he who hears the word and obeys is like a man uh, and does not obey, sorry, who hear and do not obey is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror and he goes away forgetting what he has, forgetting what he has seen. Now, I couldn't get away from this thought the entire week. Remember when you read the scriptures, who is revealed? Christ is led out of the scriptures. In the natural, you look at a mirror you see yourself. The mirror tells you your exact state. You're able to adjust anything out of, out of order so that you can look as best as you want to possibly look right to others. There's a standard of what is ex- an acceptable or reasonable way to look. The mirror tells you um, your tie is not straight or your hair is whichever, and so you adjust. Right? When you come to the word of the Lord, now James use, is using an analogy. When you come to the word of the Lord, what you see in the word of the Lord, like a natural mother will show you yourself, the word of God, listen carefully, will show you yourself by showing you Christ. And so you, listen carefully, you assess and adjust yourself based upon the representation of Christ as is led out from the scriptures to you. Right? Where you feel you're defunct, you make adjustments. Further, you were chosen in Him before the foundations of the world. When you read the mirror of the Word, you are really looking at yourself as you existed in Him before the fall. Right? And so it shows you the image of Christ and your location in Him. And that which you see of Christ, you are transformed into that same image from Glory to glory by the Spirit of the by the Spirit of the Lord. Every 
time you see Christ represented to you in the scriptures, it's an opportunity for you to see where you are in reference to what he has already made you to be before time began. So Isaiah saw the Lord, high lifted up. His view of Christ was a view of himself. Woe is me, I am. Every time you see him, you see you in the light of him. And there's always opportunity, like in Isaiah's case, to adjust to the divine standard presented to you in the mirror of the word. But if after having seen that, James says, like a natural man, you walk away from the mirror and you forget. How does he define forgetfulness? Disobedience. He says, you hear and you don't obey. Remember what we consistently said? Deuteronomy 8, God is always forgotten when when his principles are no longer adhered to the lord is forgotten so uh, the word of the lord consistently provides us like a mirror does the opportunity for transformation amen have you looked into the law james says now how do you look what does james say come on say it louder James says, but we, I mean, I know there's some people that really look intently into natural mirrors. You spend hours, right? Me, me, I'm a quick one. Yeah, child, okay, you're gone. And some ladies take longer. We understand that. Right? Who thanks God for mirrors? <laughs> what would you do if we had a, I call a meeting? Give up your mirror for the Lord's sake. That's what Moses did. Moses called all the ladies to give their looking glasses. For to pull the brazen, the brazen laver, right? The looking glass, the priests washed their hands and they could not enter the holy place until they have inspected themselves and adjusted with the washing of water by the word of the Lord so they were activated for ministry. Amen? I want to encourage you. Have you looked intently, not casually? Listen carefully. If I'm making you feel bad, good for you. It's very intent. He had to provoke you. I'm not here to build a nice, happy, clappy church. He had to develop sons. Say more noble. The Bereans were more noble-minded than the Jews in Thessalonica. Two things. Receptivity of the word with eagerness and daily examination to validate if what was said was so. Amen? We had to build a strong Strong word culture. Amen. Now nudge your neighbor and say, be eager. Beaver. <laughs> right, tonight's study is focused on faith. Now, okay, there are various principles that help us receive the word of God in an acceptable or accurate manner, as we've discussed. I wanted to go on. There, there are very important issues about God's word that I really want to engage. That will come in the following weeks. But I thought it would be irresponsible of me just to go on to those issues without discussing this issue first. The issue is because it's very clearly stated in the scriptures. That you must, whenever you hear the word, you must mix it with faith. I like the word mix here in the Greek. Um, think of mixing ingredients in a bowl with a cake. Right? 
Now the Bible says, whenever you hear the word, what must you do? Mix it with faith. Right? That's what we're going to speak about for the entirety of tonight. Right? Let's go. Now in Hebrews 4 verse 1 to 3, it says the following on page 2. Therefore, let us fear, for while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they did also. That's ancient Israel. But the word they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard it. For we have believed, we have believed, enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. At the top of your page, or rather I don't have it in the, the King James says that the word did not profit them, for the word that was heard was not mixed with faith. The New American Standard, as you see in verse 2 there, the, the word they heard did not profit, it was not united by faith in those who heard. So apart from receiving it with humility, um, regarding it as the word of God, even though it's delivered by men, accepting the men, apart from the position of eagerness and the daily examination of the scriptures, etc., you must, whenever you hear, receive the word and mix it with what? I'm going to say it louder. Faith. To mix the word with, with faith. Now, it's interesting. James 1.21 says, right, you receive the implanted word with humility, laying aside all wickedness and filthiness. Then the word is able. The word is able. The word is able to save. First Thessalonians 2 says, you receive the word not as the word or the opinion of man, but as the word of God, which does what? Perform its mighty work. The word is able. The word performs its mighty work. And here we read the word prophets. All of those three descriptions are only activated upon the accurate reception of the word. Right? In this context, the word must be received or mixed with faith. Now I want to activate your faith tonight. Are you ready for a huge download of faith? <laughs> now I want to show you, listen carefully, every time you access or hear and receive the word is potential for tremendous faith increase. Amen? Now, in the above passage that we've just read, a couple of things need to be noted. Number one, there's good news preached. Not so? Implies the acceptance of the preacher and what was preached. So the, there is word that is heard there's a promise given. The recipients hear this. What they hear is not mixed with faith. And the result, the word heard does not profit. Whenever you don't have faith, you negate the potential power of the word to profit or to, 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 benefit, to benefit you. Now what does the Bible say? How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. It seems to contradict itself if it says the word they heard did not profit, not mixed with faith. But the fact that they heard, because faith comes by 
hearing, the fact that they heard should have presupposed the presence of faith. Not so. If you think about it rationally. But they heard, did not have faith. The faith wasn't the natural outcome of hearing. Let me just say this. Although faith comes by hearing, not all hearing produces faith. Let's write it down. I don't have it in the notes here. Not all, the, the fact that hearing is the agency through which faith, hearing the word is the means or medium through which faith is developed, does not presuppose that therefore all hearing of the word will generate faith. It depends again on the recipient and how it's heard. For the word to activate faith within your heart. Now, let's just briefly do an elementary treatment on faith. We will discuss faith later on when we do elementary principles. I need to just devote a few weeks, we'll do it late in the year, to the elementary principles for the sake of our younger people here. Faith is one of the foundation doctrines. When we do that, we will do it in a much more holistic sense. Yeah, I just want to give it a brief treatment. Now, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Now, we're still on page two there, the bottom paragraph. Remember, there are three abiding, unending virtues. First truth it says, now the abides, faith, hope, and love. Now, the scripture says these three things will never end. Where there are dreams, prophecies, gifts of the Spirit, they will all end. Obviously, it says, but the greatest of these three is, is love. It doesn't take away the fact that faith and hope are abiding, unending spiritual virtues. Love being the greatest, obviously. And if faith is an abiding virtue, and faith comes by the hearing of the word of the Lord, we've got to make certain as believers, as sons of God, every time the word is heard, that we activate that hearing activates or generates the position of faith within our own within our own hearts. Now, you are saved by faith. We know that. For by faith are you saved. By grace are you saved. Through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Not of works, lest any man should, should boast. For many people, faith, they have the simplistic view of faith. A simple belief. Let me just say this. It includes that. But that's a very infantile, elementary view of what faith is. Also, for most Pentecostal charismatic people, faith is what you use to get things from God. It may be somewhat true, but it is highly infantile thinking. Let me just say this to you. When you start your relationship, you enter the kingdom, you accepted Christ, even your acceptance of Christ was by faith, right? You believed in him, you trusted in him, you had no physical evidence, you believed in an unseen God, you accepted as true your commitment and your transition out from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That all happened by? By, by faith, right? And when you start your journey in God, for most young Christians... Your whole focus is need-centered. 
you want to get things from God. Not so. You know, God is gracious. God will meet you at that point early on in your journey. He will demonstrate His goodness to you, demonstrate His, His kindness to you. But, and that's fine, but it's elementary. The journey, or rather the, the totality of faith, there's much, much more to faith than simply faith that is used to get things from God or to get your needs met. That view of faith is a view of faith that is totally self-centered or need-centered. I have an absence of things. I'm deficient of this, that, and the other. Father, I believe you. I have faith to trust you for this, for X, Y, and Z. I want to present to you tonight that that view of faith is highly elementary. It is not even, I think, the first rung on the ladder of faith. Hmm? It possibly is your introduction. God, in His grace, will afford you that as you, as you grow as a babe in Christ. Think of a natural babe. Wah! Everyone's jumping. One need. I mean, the baby's world is purely self-centered. Not so. A baby's view is, my nappy is wet. I cry, you respond. My tummy is empty. One little tweak, I know mommy or daddy can come. They leave everything, come rushing. Right? The whole focus as a baby in Christ even is purely need-centered or self-centered. But, listen carefully, when you read Hebrews 11, and you read what people used faith for, you then discover faith has got much more to do than the satisfaction of personal needs being met. There is where we want to go. Are you ready to go? There is where we want to live. Now, tell your neighbor, live! Come on, live! Now, remember we said this earlier, and I say this deliberately because um, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, there are four scriptures on the next page. It's there, I think about page three. There are four scriptures that um, consistently teach the righteous or the just live by faith. Faith is your frame of existence. You do not live apart from the principle of faith toward God. Let me just say this. Hebrews 6 um, lists six doctrines, which it calls elementary. Now, now people, when you think of the word elementary, let me just clarify something. Elementary does not mean unimportant. Elemi I mean, you go to, we, we have elementary school. In most, we don't call it, in, in the States they call it elementary school. Our element, elementary school will be what? Primary school. Right? Nobody just, no, no babe or, or, or young child just starts to enroll at university. And I think I can jump all of this. Not important, elementary. Elementary. No, no we use the term Elementary. And we forget what elementary means. Elementary purely means uh, like first stages. And not just first stages, foundational. Right? The doctrines of Hebrews 6 are called foundational doctrines. Faith towards God is the second one listed. 
It starts repentance from dead work, faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead, and the doctrine of, the sixth one, eternal judgments. But the second one is faith toward God. Now listen carefully. Faith can grow, not so. The disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. And when they said that, they were not trusting God for cars, houses, big bank balances, or anything. In fact, the context there was, Peter says, how many times must I forgive my brother? 70 times 7? Or 7 times? No, 70 times 7. Father, increase my faith. Faith to come up to the divine expectation. To relate to a brother accurately. Now, there's not trusting God for things. By the way, in your Bible, delete 7 verse 1. The part where it says, Now faith is the substance of things. Of things should not be in the scriptures. Check your Bibles when you go home. Most Bibles have it in italics. Some versions that I checked have it in brackets. Faith is substance, hope for, not things. Faith, I'll talk about that later. I'm tweaking your mind. Tell you now you're being provoked tonight. Provoked. You're being provoked. Martin Luther has this revelation. Remember the just shall live by faith? This monk. What's the 16th century? Thereabouts. I can't remember the exact time frame. Nailed his 95 thesis. Um, Catholic war. Said to the Pope. Basically saying to the Pope. There are 95 things wrong. What revelation sparked that? One of the issues was. This monk was studying the book of Romans. And he came across Romans 1.17. The righteous live by faith. This was a great truth that the light bulb came on on the 16th century monk. And he started to say, yay, I don't need to live by the works, by all these laws and extra requirements this church is imposing upon me. And he started the first phase of a reformational process that we are still continuing to today. Amen? Now, tell you never live by faith. Say, live by faith. If you're not living, you're dying. <laughs> Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Faith comes by the, the word of, of God. Okay? Now, I'm not going to go through a lot of the detail here simply because of time. Hebrews 11 verse 6 on page 3 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You can never please God outside of the economy of faith. If the Bible says it's impossible to please Him without faith, guess what? No faith. No pleasing God. Eh? No faith, no pleasing God. Please consistently remind yourself the context of tonight's study. What's our theme? The primacy of the word. Why are we discussing faith? Because faith comes by how you hear. And if this component comes by the accurate attitude with which you hear, i got to make certain that my faith is maximized to its greatest potential simply because I hear with accurate principles lodged inside of my heart. 
Otherwise, we're going to be a bunch of people that never please Him. He will believe. He who comes to God must believe that He is. You should circle. The, I just added this this afternoon. I don't have it here. I circled the word He is. Now, most commentators will tell you that's a reference to the fact that God exists. Uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that He is the warder of them that. Diligently, I put I am, that I am. He is, I am. He who comes to God must believe that he is. That he is the I am, that I am. To not have faith is to be incapable of pleasing God. Also, and also to be vulnerable to sin, which directly displeases God. Romans 14 um, 21 to 23, the latter part says, Whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever is not, um, whatever, and I know the context of Romans, I don't want to go into Romans, the actual context, lovely study if you have the time, but whatever pattern of behavior you embark upon that might not be acceptable to others, yet in your view, faith has prompted it. It's not sin, which to others might be sin. It's lovely, lovely. That's the context of, of, of this, Romans 14. Please, you must study it when, when, when you have the time. Now, just go to the next paragraph. I'm just paraphrasing. I won't have time to read this verbatim. Remember, the Bible in Galatians says that, Galatians 6.10, that the church is also described as the household of what? Household of faith. We must do good. To, to all, to everybody, especially those of the household of faith. Now, the household is a reference to a local household where a father is, has spiritual sons. One of the descriptions of the house of God is that this household is characterized by faith. When people walk in here, I mean, what, what are the opposites or the, the, the hindrances or the enemies of faith? What? Tell me. Things like what? What's the opposite of faith? Fear. What else? Unbelief. Doubt. Hesitation. Impatience. Like Abraham could not wait, got the Ishmael, yet he should have faith to trust God for the Isaac in the first place. Now, all those things, impatience, fear, doubt, unbelief, should not be things that characterize the gathering of spiritual fathers and sons. But think about it this way. Every time we gather together, guess what should the frequency of the environment be? Belief. Trust. And later on I'll show you, we are so, have become the embodiment of the nature of God. Nothing is impossible to us. A faith-filled environment. The Bible says, Luke 18 Remember that passage? See, I'm tempted to start teaching on faith here. I'm tempted to go into the detail. This is simply elementary. Luke 18 says, remember the passage with the parable of the importunate widow? She, didn't, she kept coming back to the judge, even though he was unjust. He said in his mind, lest this widow wearies me because of her perpetual coming, I better give her a request. And he says this, he concludes the statement, shall not God avenge? His own elect, which cry unto him 
day and night. I tell you, he will avenge them quickly. But when the Son of Man comes on the earth, will he find faith? I want to ask you this question. If the Lord comes to your house today, let me use this Beru family, which is right in front here, and they need a lot of faith now with everything that's been happening. <laughs> okay, I'm just teasing. Right, let's say the Berus, and the Lord comes to your house. Let me just take that same passage from 18 and apply it to a house. The Lord said, when I come to will I find your house a environment of faith? Is your house, I'm just apply this to all of your houses, is, is your house, your dwelling, Quinton Audrey, for example, all those many couples here, um, all of us, will your environment be faith? And what I'm saying, as you will discover, I'm not just saying, is your environment full of belief, trust, confidence, uh, conviction, which is all part of faith, but is your environment full of substance? Because what is faith? Is not thing, faith is the substance hoped for. That's how you must read Hebrews. It's not the substance of things hoped for. It's the substance hoped for. You do not focus on the things. You focus on the substance. And when you get the substance, things naturally Amen? I'm so excited. I feel like running now. <laughs> I just feel the Lord speaking to me about a whole lot of issues inside my own heart. Make a banner. Print on your computer, household of faith. Put it on your door to remind you. Put it on your child's door. Look, this room, a household of faith. Now I'm just applying it differently. It alludes to people, but now I'm talking about the environment. Amen environment it will configure the way you speak the way you pray the way you think the way you wake up in the morning you will not be susceptible to depression amen you'll be a man of faith now stephen i'm just remember this verse now stephen a man full of faith access be full of the right thing don't be full of nonsense <laughs> we say you're full of nonsense how's this let me just use Leo's. And now Leo, let me use, he's in the forensic world. And now Leo, the man, full of faith. And Quinton at your workplace. Your, I know your workplace needs a lot of faith. Because I was there as well. <laughs> and Quinton came into the staff room. And now Quinton, a man full of faith. What they saying about you when they say that Denzel in your sphere of the legal world. You say, and now he's a man full of faith. They're not just saying you are... You are like you, you trust God, you believe God, but your representation of his nature and substantive presence is so forceful. They cannot help but note it. When you are around, things like doubt, fear, negativity, all out the window. Right? Let me get to it straight away because I keep alluding to it and I haven't explained it yet. Just go over to page four. Let's get straight into it. Let's define it. What is faith? Now, the Bible, very few principles in Scripture are actually defined like the way faith is defined in the Bible. I mean, the Bible actually now faith is and tells you what it is. Okay? Now, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, I've got the New King James and the New American Standard there for you. 
We all were brought up on the New King James and King James, not so. So it says, now faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. Uh, my preferred study um, translation is the New American Standard. I use all translations, but my first, the, the Bible I read and study from most times is New American Standard. This one says, now faith is the assurance, in brackets, of things, hope for the conviction of things not, not seen. Now, after those blocks go down, I actually state this. The words of things in the first part of Hebrews 11 verse 1 were not in the original manuscripts of the Scripture. Some Bibles actually got a little one or two above that, and you read the marginal rendering, and it actually says they're not in original script. So we should read it. Now faith is the substance hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Okay? Maybe this is applicable now with the Pistorius case. We need evidence. <laughs> God's the evidence not seen. In the law, they want the evidence to be seen. In the faith world, you, you sometimes cannot corroborate what you're feeling with external proof about a conviction that that your external world can be militating in contradiction against your position. Yet the man filled with faith operates by a, say conviction, say persuasion, say pistis. That's the Greek word for faith, pistis. You see the first block there? It means firm persuasion. I like this. This combines a conviction based upon hearing. So it's not just persuasion. It's a firm persuasion or conviction. Every time you hear the word of the Lord, you can walk out of this building convinced, persuaded about a reality concerning the nature of God, His nature and His purpose and will for your life. And you walk out of here being thoroughly convinced that you have that here and now, even though you don't have external proof of it. In time, everyone say in time. The person of faith will walk in the reality of that which he heard God. His faith position will engender the reality which contradicts what he heard to conform itself to what he heard because of his standpoint in a contrary environment. You will be a father of many nations, Abram's told. He goes around, see this guy at the campfire with the old bullies. Friday night, Bri. Guys, God said. <laughs> Everyone say, God said. God said, I'm going to be a daddy. How old was he? 99, eh? <laughs> I could say, but I'm laughing like the other old chop. <laughs> no, Abe, no. I think you're getting some Alzheimer's there or something. You sure you heard God? Yeah, I'm, I'm a daddy. But you don't even have one son. He, the Bible says he reckoned himself a father of many nations, even though his external evidence militated against that. I mean, his wife's womb was dead. But this man functions as though the thing is done. God said it. Faith's view is 
It's a reality based on my hearing. It's not a, a reality based on my physical seeing of the thing. Because I've heard, it is real to me. And my unswerving position in believing that consistently will ensure that what I have believed, I walk in. That's what the Bible says, uh, quoting Romans 4, he was unswerving. The Bible says he was unswerving. He did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. The impossibility of his wife getting children was not a consideration in his thinking. Let me just say this. When you function by the principle of faith, that which is impossible with men becomes your possibility. In fact, faith only thrives in the realm of impossibilities. Hmm? Are you facing some impossibilities now? I want to say this again. Don't think of what I need now. Don't think of the recruitment of things to satisfy a deficiency in the, my needs. It, it can apply there, but it's not where we are going to. You'll see just now. Now, so think of faith as a firm persuasion, right? A conviction. This is what I want to focus on. Uh, the word substance. Um, listen carefully. Assurance or substance is the word hypostasis, and it underlies the apparent. Also translated as confidence or confident expectation. Like the New American Standard uses the word assurance. When you are confident, you are confident. You're not vacillating. You have a fixed, convinced position about a reality. But listen carefully. It is not so much that faith is simply a mental position of your belief in God. It may be true, but this word hypostasis does not merely only suggest assurance or confidence. Some people say, I have faith, I am confident God's going to. Faith doesn't only allude to the confidence on the unswerving position that you have that what God said he would do. It's part of faith, but it's not the only part. Because this word, look at it very carefully down at the bottom. Listen carefully. Where it's got after the paragraph after note. The word translated substance or assurance in the Greek is hypostasis, a word which was used to describe the very substantive and compositional nature of God himself. Now look at Hebrews 1.3. It says, He, the Son, is the radiance of his glory and the exact, what? Representation of his nature. That word nature there is also hypostasis. So, you can, you must remember the translators in English of the Bible translated it from the Greek. Sometimes a flaw they would make is to interpret the word, now the Greek and Hebrew words have ranges of meanings. They'll interpret the specific word based on the context they're dealing with. Right? If you superimpose your view on faith as confidence, you will use word like assurance 
as the New American Standard Bible does. But it's much more than that. If I say to you that hypostasis or substance also means the nature of God. Now faith is the nature hopeful. Now faith is not just an internal mental position of being convinced. Now faith is the reaching forth of the substance, the nature by which God himself is defined. That, listen to me now to say this, that is faith's first focus, the nature of God. Faith's first focus is the hypostasis of God. Let me just say this to you. Um, think, let me just, I want to read Tamo's explanation at the bottom there. I got this from one of the schools. He also mentioned this at the dialogues, amazingly, on Wednesday morning now. This, this term, hypostasis. Let's read it together. Listen carefully. Let me just further ex- explain it. Look above that paragraph. The complete meaning of hypostasis is this. Is that which underlies the apparent. The reality the essence, substance. If you know, any word starting sub means what? Submarine, submerge, subterrain. You go under. So substance, whenever you think of this word hypostasis or sub, you think it's the reality, it's, it's that, that which undergirds a reality. So you can have the apparent or the appearance of a thing But the appearance of the thing is undergirded by a greater essence. So like Hebrews 1, 3 says, the sun is what? The exact representation of what? Of his substance. Your representation is external, but your representation is based upon a foundation of nature. You cannot represent that which you're not undergirded by internally within your heart. You understand? Right? I know this is somewhat of an abstract term to explain. But look, listen, listen to what Thawma explained to us in one of the schools. This was the March 2011 school. He said this. When the early church fathers tried to explain that Christianity has one God expressed in three persons, they said that God is a God of substance or hypostasis. That is, he has a non-material substance. The three persons, there are three persons in the Godhead, they're all co-equal, in that they have the same substance. This is the compositional makeup of God. So you have Father, you have Son, and you have Holy Spirit, but they all have the same hypostasis, the same substance. Now, you see it further, listen carefully. This, each of the parts of the Godhead has the same weight of substance. But the character of that substance may express itself differently. This is the basis upon which the image of God is expressed. Notice it's undergirding. So it's the basis upon which image becomes projected or is expressed. And then he began to define it in terms of how inwardly we bear the divine substance that carries and communicates our, our character. Right? 
So if you say, Randolph, um, forgive the brother who hurt you. You can't expect me. I got to now rep. I got to be an exact representation of what? His nature. You can't expect my exactness of representation if I don't have the substructure of nature already present. What in the church we've been trying to do? We've been trying to encourage people to exactly represent God. In the first place, no impartation of hypostasis or substance was developed within them. So we have this wrong expectation on the people of God. Every time, let me, let me explain it like this. Faith's first focus is the nature of God itself. When you receive the nature of God, the hypostasis of God, His nature, His character, which includes His will and His intentions for your life become assimilated within you. When that is a reality, everything will attract itself to you because you've cemented within yourself solidly undergirding everything you are, the nature of God. Remember Abraham? Three times he said, here I am. To God, remember Genesis 22? Here I am. What happened on the mount? Provision came. The charismatic Pentecostal church was focusing on faith to recruit God as provider without cementing solidly within the lives of sons the nature of God. So you consistently said, yeah, I am to God. You are the great I am, but yeah, I am. Who you are, I've cemented as nature within me. So I represent you accurately. You can never ever focus on faith for things until you have cemented faith for nature, divine nature within your within your within your life right faith for the nature of god repeat after me now faith is the substance hope for hope is a mental expectation of something in the future right that something will materialize right faith is the the reaching forth of the embodiment of the nature of God within your, within your, within your life. Now, go down to, on the next page quickly. We're on page five. Eh? You see, we always wanted faith for things and faith to do. Hmm? Great exploits done by, by faith. If you look from, I think, the fourth line in the paragraph, I wrote, doing his purposes is impossible without first the assimilation of his character by faith. Let's read. I've concocted my own definition of faith. It's in bold there. Try to put all these elements nicely. Listen carefully. Faith is an extremely strong conviction or persuasion rooted in something God said. How does faith come by? Hearing. It comes by hearing the rhema word of God, which communicates grace, the very substance of that which God, with spirit, is composed. This conviction, everyone say persuasion conviction. 
So Janelle, if I asked you, are you a young girl of faith? You say, well, faith, faith, what's that? Faith? You said, young girl of faith, faith, what's that? Faith pistis means persuasion or conviction. How does she get to be at university and in life becoming such a confident, convicted, firmly persuaded person about God's nature and will? Faith is that firm persuasion. Faith is that, let me say this. We can rephrase it by saying that, which is faith, being firmly convinced or fully persuaded, faith is the hypostasis. That firm position of conviction or persuasion is the nature of God. Do you understand? To get there, what must you get? Nature. It's the substructure that undergirds the appearance of a reality, the essence of a thing. How does it come to you? Let me, let me do it like this quickly. Yes, God. Yes, Janelle. Eh? God speaks what to you? Don't focus on the outcome. Focus on what he's communicated. Word comes to you. The, the Bible says, Israel, the word they heard, the word they heard did not profit them, not mixed with faith. This word has what in it? What is grace? Grace is the compositional nature of God that makes God, God. God is spirit. God cannot be seen. But the early church fathers said also that spirit has a substance. They called it hypostasis. Spirit has a substance. Is Now, if I say, does the thing have substance? You're talking about something material, tangible. But the, the grace of God is the, is, is, is the content of spirit. Spirit is wind, cannot be seen. Spirit has a substantive nature and presence about it. In God, it's called grace. We beheld His glory full of what? Full of grace and, and truth. When you get the word, grace is imparted. Grace is imparted to you. Based on your hearing. On your accurate hearing of that word. All the principles we spoke about. Now, God who speaks is going to use another person to speak to you. You receive the one who speaks as the word of God. You receive it with humility. You receive it with understanding. You receive it with eagerness. You receive it by going home daily, examining if what you heard was so in the scriptures. And when you receive it that way, faith, which is the substance of God called grace, is now yours. What Peter says, it says, through the word we have become partakers of the divine nature. How? Peter says, you've purified your souls, First Peter 1.22, purify your souls by obeying the truth, becoming partakers of, and you've purified your souls unto an unfeigned love for the, for the brothers. You, you obey, every time you obey the word, you assimilate his character. You assimilate his nature. That nature begins to form substantive presence within you. Once the nature of God is in you, listen carefully, to trust and believe God to do anything he commands you is no big deal. Faith will accomplish. You see, we're expecting people to walk in great exploits when they haven't developed substantive nature. 
Now, just go down to, I've got it here, Mark eleven twenty two says, listen carefully, have faith in God. A lot of, uh, some, the modern King James Bible says, have the faith of God. I mean, that's, I want to say certain things for fear of I may sound heretical to try to communicate what I'm trying to relate to you. Become so God-natured. Become filled with the hypostasis substance of God because grace has been communicated to you. To start to walk, and let me say this to you, grace is activated, partaking of the nature of God is activated. How? By obedience. Every time you obey, you activate divine nature. Think about it. That's why Abraham is called what? The father of faith. This guy didn't even flinch to kill a 17-year-old boy with a knife. How does one get to that place? I'm asking. You are the I am. Yeah, I am. He becomes the embodiment of the nature in his world to such a forceful degree that no command, expectation of God placed upon his life is difficult. You see, when faith is matured, it gives no place for rationalization. No place for negotiation. No place for ifs, whats, and maybes. The maturity of faith. Amen? Let me finish the definition of God, okay? The second paragraph. Then we'll have a quick break. We'll end by nine, don't worry. This conviction is not so much, listen carefully, a mental position of belief and agreement as much as it is a divine reality. The nature of God within one that undergirds and produces a confident expectation. So Chanel, you got that? You, you are persuaded. You're confident. That firm conviction, yes, it's undergirded by the fact that you've imbibed and embodied the nature of God within you. This hope causes one to act with intense desire outwardly. That's why, when, let me just say this, you can also have the gift of faith. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Hmm? And I'm, it's like, <laughs> people see only the impossibility of the situation. But you're so full of God's view, God's way, God's nature, God's character on the issue. It's like you walk as the deal done already. What's what face you? Why are you fretting? Why is there doubt? Why is there unbelief? Why is there questionings? Right? Aren't we God in this world? And then, this hope causes one to act with intense desire outwardly in obedience, even without physical or tangible external proof or evidence, because faith provides a perspective into the unseen, invisible reality. Okay? This reality or perspective regards as fulfilled the things spoken by God. Faith is sight into the unseen seen world mark eleven twenty two says have faith in god the modern king james version renders that as have the faith of god right faith being not so much a mental position of of trust because pistis is conviction or firm persuasion but faith firm persuasion is the substance, which is a word used to describe God's nature, hope for, evidence not seen. 
of things not seen. Now, the Message Bible renders Mark eleven twenty two like this, the bottom of the paragraph. Jesus was a matter of fact. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it. That's how it describes have faith of God. When we say have faith, what we are saying is embrace the God life, the nature of God in you. That's what faith is. Now, faith is always based in an on the unseen reality or the unseen dimension. The unseen dimension is the eternal dimension. God is spirit. He lives outside of time. He lives in the realm of eternity. He's a spirit being. He lives in an unseen world. You cannot quantify him. Uh, he's immaterial. He's non-matter. He's full of grace that's communicated to us by words. When we hear those words, faith comes by, by hearing. James says we look at the mirror, we hear and obey. Every time we obey, we embody nature, right? which is faith's first focus. The nature of God, we become partakers of, assimilate the very nature of God into our into our lives. The Bible says we embrace the God life with, within us. If you become like God in your nature, God who dwells in the spirit world, the unseen, eternal dimension, because that nature now pulsates within your being, your perspective of you suddenly changes. You walk in the earth having the hypostasis of God and you start to see things not as a natural man, but your behavior, your decisions in life, your ambitions are all tailored by your perspective now, which has changed. Why? Because faith has now filled your heart. What is faith? The nature of God. The, the, the substantial substance of God that has now filled you. And that changes your perspective because the eternal God has become now your nature and you start to go back to what God originally made you to be, an eternal being. You're functioning now by heaven's time clock. Okay? Now, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. We're not like natural men walking with our natural sight, being conditioned by things we see naturally with our eyes. But we walk with spiritual perspective. 2 Corinthians 4.18 on the next page says, While we do not look at the things which are unseen, with the, sorry, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are, are eternal. Right? The things which are not seen are eternal. And I, I want to encourage you that um, to the natural man who only functions by the temporal earth-based domain and his view of life is not conditioned by God's perspective who functions from the eternal perspective. 
what you say, your decisions, your actions will not make sense to that person. Right? The Bible says Moses endured as seeing him who was invisible. So you're seeing into the invisible, unseen world, and what you see of God's nature, will, and intent so grips you. And your behavior in life is not conditioned by natural events, circumstances that are able to be viewed with the temporal, natural eye. But your view of everything is governed from a higher dimension. Faith has sight. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Faith has a different sight to natural sight. Right? So it's always about perspective. It's always about perspective. You can be married. One partner can be full of faith. The other one deficient of faith. And they have different views or perspectives. The decisions will always contradict. The actions will always be opposing. Why? The one is functioning from a perspective where he's embodied the nature of God so forcefully, right? He's seeing things differently and embarks upon life on a vastly different, from a vastly different perspective than the other one who doesn't have, who doesn't have faith. Amen? Now, let me just read that last paragraph. Think about it. Tell you never think about it. (laughs) If faith's firm persuasion or conviction is actually the substantive nature of God himself embodied within you as his son, and this nature of God is eternal and spirit, then faith's outward operation is then also based upon a spiritual view or sight into that dimension in which God himself exists, the eternal. Faith's focus is the embodiment of God, the eternal God, in your behavior. So faith's operation in the actual world is always based on the view that God has. Right? So God can come to Abraham and said, before you were born, I knew you were going to have the son, so you are a father. Perspective, Abraham's functioning in a world where his natural circumstances have contradicted God's reality of the thing. Faith's perspective or outlook is, I am a father. From the vantage point for where I view things, the deal is sealed. In fact, I regard it as done. The Bible says he believed God, who calls those things that are not as though they were or are. It says were in the King James time. It's like he set the thing in time in past. So if it's not, it is because it's been established in my record. That I'm going to walk in this dimension. So what's robbing you of walking in the dimensions that God has already set for you? Perspective. The embodiment of nature. Tell your neighbor, obey. Now let's go straight to it. I, w- I won't look do part four because I think we've covered that sufficiently enough. Look at number five. Obedience is the expression of faith. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so too faith without works is dead. Now works, now it says the body without a spirit is dead. If there's a dead body here, it's proof there's no spirit in the person. When you die, your spirit leaves your body. 
Right? If someone is dead and they have a spirit, run for your life. Okay. <laughs> um, the body without the spirit is dead. So a dead person, the body, the spirit who is you leaves your body. The person sits there lifeless. James says, a body without a spirit is dead. So, if you say you have faith, but you have no accompanying works to corroborate or testify of your faith, your faith is dead faith. Hmm? Works is the outward expression of faith. In other words, works will indicate your obedience. Your outward demonstration of your embodiment of the nature of God and His command or His expectation of you. If none of your external actions correspond with the faith you claim to have, then this proves there's no real living effect of faith within. You can say all you want to. I have the nature of God in reference to this, and I'm walking in it. But if your actions do not correspond with your faith, then you don't have faith. Now, James was like black and white. Oh, you have faith. Okay, no problem. Show me your works. I'll, I'll, I'll examine, I'll, I'll actually diagnose the presence of faith by examining your works. Do you have a question? No, 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 no. Okay, Newman's, let's take up the recording. Newman's question is, is James asking for us to demonstrate our faith by the presence of things? No, right? Things don't validate the presence of faith, right? The nature of God validates the presence of faith. Faith is, the firm persuasion is the substance, the hypostasis, hope for, right? But what, what James is saying, the works that he's alluding to here, are outward acts of obedience in reference to what you've in reference to what you've 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 heard for example god says to abraham i'll make your father of many nations problem is he's past the age of childbearing his wife's womb is totally barren or dead what happens through impatience he takes hagar he sleeps with her and Ishmael is born. Now, that, those works of Abraham in that context proves there was no faith to trust God at that point. Impatience, that's why one of the enemies of faith is impatience. Right? There, there, there's there's a, a key word that you must, I wish we could teach faith. When we do faith, we'll need about three or four sessions. Because to understand Hebrews 11, you've got to understand the latter part of Hebrews 10. Which is now faith is. He says now after discussing all the issues in verse, in chapter 10. One of the issues he draws close attention to in chapter 10 is endurance. You stay under, you you, you keep standing what God said. Until you see the, real, the, the realization of the promise. But while you wait, you don't exhibit any action outwardly in your life that will militate against your firm trust and belief in what God said to you. Okay? So the outward actions are works. Now, we learned at the, the, a few schools, and it's been repeated, that faith is a post-fall condition. I got it in the paragraph there. Right? Before the fall of Adam in the garden, there was no need for faith. All Adam had to do was simply, oh, 
obey. Obedience is the works. God say you simply walk in, in, what, he, in, in what he said. Now we're living in a post-fall economy, as it were. We're moving back to what God originally designed us to be. So I'm going to say this, that faith is God's means of getting the culture of obedience back. Right? For me, obedience is the indicator of faith's presence. The fact that you can obey is proof that you are man or woman of faith in God. Right? Now, faith introduces you to the possibility of not doing it. The poss- it introduces you to rationalization and negotiation. The command of God comes... You must decide whether or not to, to believe. For me, it's not so much the decision of whether or not to believe. If I, through my obedience, assimilate the culture and the nature of God in my behavior, to, to, to trust God or to believe God for anything will be natural. It will be a natural outflow of the embodiment of his hypostasis or his nature internally within my Within my, within my life. These things will happen almost reflexively. Until we've come to that place of total obedience, we will need faith to get us there. Until the culture of obedience is completely and firmly established in, in the house amongst the, amongst the sons of, of God. I wrote there the last sentence, faith's ultimate goal is to restore and produce strong culture of total and unquestioning obedience to all of God's commands. All of them. Amen? To all of God's commands. Now, point number six. What are the enemies of faith? Right? We'll, t- we'll talk about these in, the, in great detail in a later study, but just to go through them quickly. Firstly, not hearing and obeying the word released through your spiritual oversight or your spiritual father. How does faith come by hearing and hearing by the, the word of God? Right? Thalmo uh, often says faith doesn't come by reading. Faith comes by hearing. The, the implication is true biblical faith is generated when you are positioned under the hearing of a valid spiritual, authentic, apostolic, fathering grace. You hear, remember the verse we read now? It says the word preach. When we started, the word preach is alluded to. Hebrews 4 says, verse 2 on page 2, For indeed we, we have had the good news preached to us as they did, but the word they heard did not profit them. So the word heard is because of what you heard being ministered to you by your spiritual father in the Lord. That is how biblical faith is generated. The hearing of the word of that which is preached to you will generate faith. Right? Now if you're not hearing, the first issue is not hearing and obeying the word released through your spiritual oversight there are many people in our house not here tonight guess what they're not hearing this word 
not under the sound of my voice. Right? For me, consistent absence is worrying for many reasons. One of the reasons is, then what voice are you listening to? Then what, you see, faith will generate obedience. If you're not under the sound, you're not under the hearing. So what will be the result? The lack of faith, and where there's a lack of faith, it will always degenerate into disobedience. And I'm moving away from the purposes of God. Amen? It's important. Um, that's why I never miss a meeting of Thamos. Why? Not just because, and I go with the mindset of supporting everything he does. Why? To make, firstly, I adopt the principle of Elisha washing the hands of. Elisha is my consistent. As long as he's there, I'm there. Never mind what the content, the subject, or what's being ministered. Just the fact that he's handling something, his mission in God. So it's my, I'm a son in the Lord. I will be there to make his job lighter. Right? At the schools, I testify often. We're the first ones at every session in the apostolic tools of ministry. We handle the worship. We see two things. Why? Washing my father's hands. Hmm? I would love, I said this often, I would love to go to a school and do nothing. Just arrive there like everybody else. Nine o'clock, go to your seat, open your Bible, here, go out. Right? But be there early. Greet, greet my father. What's your feeling? He normally tells me. The frequency for his session. What's your feeling for the session? And he'll give some guidelines as to the worship, etc. Right? Make his job lighter. Create the culture so that when he stands to preach, it's, it, it's the platform is is set. Right? I go there with that, but I also go with this vine that, hey, there's going to be preaching from a valid, spiritual, authentic father in grace. I will position myself under the sound of his voice because that voice shifts my doorposts that voice activates faith in my heart i do get a measure of faith by personal study and personal reading but it's nothing compared to when i hear the voice sounded forth into my ear from that source preach to me there are times i can wish there are times i feel so empowered for a bit of marriage but i can run home never mind drive home Sure, now I can take the world. I remember my first few feelings going to Madisburg in the early days when our relationship with Thamo was still in his formative years. Sure, I could come back and I wouldn't be able to do anything. I was so overwhelmed by, so empowered, so fueled by the word of the Lord. So I want to encourage you, please encourage your brothers and sisters to come to the meetings. You know why? We're going to build our household of faith. Not just faith here, there, trappings. Imagine my lament to you. Okay, it's lament time. My lament to you. What if all our people were here tonight? What if? What kind of disposition we come on Sunday? Having heard all that we've heard. Hmm? What's been happening now? There's a measure of faith, force, presence. Then we get gaps, unbelief here disrespect, dishonor, and lack of faith, questioning, is this from God? All that dilutes the content of a household of faith. Hmm? Not hearing the word, then neglecting the word, right? The rhema word. 
Unbelief is the lack of faith. Right? Um, if, if you don't have faith, it manifests by not believing. Doubt is indication of wavering, moving between faith and unbelief. You believe now, tomorrow you don't believe. You're doubting. You're like the wind. You've got two minds. Double-minded man. Double-minded man is unstable in, in all his ways. Okay? Uh, presumption is false faith. Not based in a sure word from God. And this is a problem. Many people say they have faith. But God never even spoke. How can you have faith and you heard nothing? That's my dilemma. You heard nothing but you got faith. That's not faith. That's false faith which I call you've presuming things now. Right? True biblical faith is only generated by hearing an accurate, authentic, spiritual fathering grace over your life. That word is sounded forth, right? And then another enemy of faith is impatience. It produces an Ishmael, something of human construction that is portrayed as the provision of God as the result of faith. You say that, well, see, God provided. Meanwhile, you engineer the whole thing. And you just want to have fruit in your life as an indication Let's see how God is working. <laughs> to others, you want to say, see, I got my Ishmael. God promised me to be a father. Yes, he. But you can try it and engineer it in your human flesh the entire thing. Faith always waits patiently for God's hand. Because God will not, uh, God wants to receive all honor that the, the outworking of his promise was of his hand and not through human ingenuity. Let me just say this. God will strip you of all human attempts. Right? like he did with, with Abram. In Isaac shall your seed be, not Ishmael. Right? Take the bondwoman and cast her out. Take that element, that propensity to lean on the arm of flesh to get results. Take that dynamic and expect the house. Listen carefully. I may preach about Cast the bondwoman and her son. Cast them out. Don't, um, God was so serious about this thing. Don't let that be a factor in your journey. Be intolerant of that. Amen? Impatience produces an Ishmael. So don't be impatient to, to try and contrive the, um, the Lord's will and manufacture results. Then fear. Fear is faith moving in the opposite direction. To what God, to what where you, you want to, to go, right? The faith, fear. I want to encourage you. All of these things are negative things. Fear, doubt, unbelief, presumption, impatience. Make a decision tonight that these things will not hinder um, you as a man or a woman of, of faith in God. I want to encourage you. May they, may they never hinder you. Just quickly, I'm going to mention this now, and I'll, I'll re, I want to repeat this on Sunday as well, because time is far gone. But listen carefully. The first factor I want to amplify, this is point number seven. Honor for your spiritual oversight and obedience to the word release equates to faith. Listen carefully. Just go over to the next page. What did Paul say to the Thessalonians? You receive the word of God not as the word of men, but for what it really is, 
The word of God which performs its mighty work in you. When you receive it as God's word, not as man's word, it produces faith. It comes by your hearing the words of your spiritual father over your life. Right? Now, um, let's go to Luke. Leave Matthew because of time. I'll just do Luke 7 today. When he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum, and the centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and to save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He's worthy for you to grant him this to him. For he loves our nation. It was he who built our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy to come to you, uh, for you to come under my roof, sorry. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he turned to said to the crowd, following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. What was the centurion's great faith? The fact he, of his high estimation and his honor for Christ. He said, don't even come under my roof. I've sent servants to tell you this. I'm not worthy. But just speak. I recognize your authority. Because I too am a man under authority. I command my servant. I say, go. This one goes. I say, come. This one comes. And I see within you. You have authority with your words in the spirit realm. Speak the word and my servant will be made whole. Jesus says, not even amongst Jews. This Italian bro, centurion, right? This Italian leader, right? Says, and Jesus says, Jesus defines as great faith one who esteemed him and his word highly. Where that culture is set, listen carefully, if you disrespect me or the word I release, guess what you've just done? You've nullified the presence of faith in your life. I would rather err on going overboard with honor, overboard with respect. You know why? When God comes to me, God's going to say, Sure, Randolph, you honor your spiritual father so much. You, you regard the word he releases not as his own human ideas. It's the word of God to you. God will come to say, See, I have not found so great faith. No, not in all Israel. Let me just say this, and I, I want to talk more about this on Sunday, the Lord permitting here locally. The culture of dishonor and disrespect negates the culture of faith. You will not have a household of faith if you have a household of dishonor, disestimation, and disrespect. It's amazing, eh? Let me just say this. Who wants to be, you want to be a house of faith? 
truly a household of faith. The way to get there is through the principle of honor. The way to get there is through accepting the word and the one who brings the word to you. Negate that and you lose the possibility. Look at Matthew 13. Quickly. Just do this quickly. Verse 54 at the top of page 8. He came to his hometown and he began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and they said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother not Mary, his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Offended at the carpenter's son. Your view of him is not son of God. Your view of him is Joseph's son. Your view of him is Mary's boy from down the road. You don't highly esteem him in your mind. You reduce his identity and his nature to one who lives down the road. Your view of him, you have not seen the divine grace in your midst. And offense becomes the easiest thing for you. You become offended even at good things. They say we astounded at words and, and his life, his miraculous display of the power of God. Those things now, good things suddenly become an offense to you. And what happened? And Jesus said this to them. A prophet is not without honor except in his own household or hometown. And in his own household, sorry. Let me just say this to you. We're going to break this, this statement. In the household, there must be honor. It says, and I've explained with me in a few trips now to Botswana, Korea, elsewhere, Zimbabwe. Others who have traveled with me have seen this. This is the testimony we come back with. Wherever we go, we're held in such high esteem. You know why God works powerfully? Many reasons. But because of the manner of reception and regard, the platform is set for the miraculous display of faithful works of God. Nature of God put on display. The moment you transgress the honor principle, you kill faith. Kill the representation of God in the house. And here's the sad thing, verse 58. He did not do many miracles. And what does it say? Because of their un... Yeah, Unbelief is defined as inaccurate appraisal of one's true identity in the Lord. Can you see this? Do you believe? Now, if I apply these scriptures, I come to you. Let me use you now. I say, do you believe? What I'm saying to you, what is your view of me? Jesus construed unbelief as an inaccurate appraisal of the one sent to you. And in, in Luke 7, he equated faith to a person that honors the one sent to them. So we're defining faith in a new way. <laughs> I'm determined to engender a household of faith. That's why anybody complains to you and transgresses this principle. 
correct them immediately. Why? You're not concerned just about your inaccuracy, brother. You're out of order. But I'm not going to allow that spirit into this house. I'm not going to allow that, 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 that virus to, to contaminate a house. Why? As powerful as, as God himself is, Jesus couldn't do nothing because of the spirit. If we can get the greatest apostle to come here, he, the work of the, the potential power is stifled because of a culture of dishonor. Hmm? So when I say, are you faithful? We are define it in different terms now. Amen? But would you agree to become men and women of faith? Now, faith is the substance hoped for. Are you hoping for that substance? The imbibing of the very nature, the hypostasis of God in your life is contingent upon the reception of the one sent to you and his word. That entire process will engender a culture of faith. Listen carefully. When faith becomes a culture, it transcends simply it being only a private personal disposition present in a few. It's now an all-pervading character of the house. And it truly becomes the household of faith. Amen? Amen. The Lord richly bless you. We'll see. Let's read together Hebrews 11. I won't comment on the, the last paragraph. As much as I've said there, you can read it. I've got to read this. I just have to do it. I just love this chapter. I'm falling in love with it over and over again. Follow with me as I read it. Part of your focus in, in point number six there says, analyze Hebrews 11, the so-called faith chapter. Isolate exactly what each individual mentioned there. Use faith for. How does your analysis offer a perspective of faith that may be vastly different from the limited and narrow understanding of faith as faith for things in the general church today. So let's look at what each one used faith for. But this is such a powerful chapter just to, to read, okay? Can we read the scriptures? Public reading of the scriptures, I'm doing it today. <laughs> let's read together. Let's read chorally together, jointly, amen? Will you read with me? Okay, I'll try and read slowly. You try to keep up with me, Rob. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gain approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that that which is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though we being dead, he still speaks. By faith, Noah was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was, sorry, Enoch, sorry, was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before he's being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, 
and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God about things not seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where he was received for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, and beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Tell your neighbor, God is faithful. I like this description of God. He's a faithful God. He's full of faith. So have the faith of God. Verse 12. Therefore was born even one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand by which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they were seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they came out, they would not have had opportunity to return. But as it, it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered Isaac, and he who received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God was able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, regarding, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Tell your neighbor that just live by faith. Tell your neighbor, when you die, you still have faith. When these guys were dying, the principle of faith was at its height. This guy, I mean, Jacob was, the Bible says, blind and aged, couldn't even see. Yet each son came before him, and he prophesied at length of things that were before them in the last day. Faith is about perspective into the unseen realm. Got nothing to do with the physical dimension. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child 
and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let me just say this. By faith, you've got to refuse sonship from an inaccurate order. You refuse sonship from Pharaoh's courts. Verse 25. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt. Tell you never leave inaccuracy by faith. Right? By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he would destroy the firstborn, would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the harlot, did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and all the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness they were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were destitute. Where are we? Tempted, sorry. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of womb, the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts, in mountains, and caves, and holes in the ground. All these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because, please read this slowly, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Isn't that a powerful, powerful chapter? And time will not permit me. To speak of Thamon Aidu, Apostle Segi, France, and other great men in the earth who are still functioning by this principle. May your name be listed here. May it be said of you, if we had the time, we will tell you of Dion, governor, who by faith did this, by faith did that. Sight and conviction, nature of God, in, you know. These people didn't even have the word faith in their vocabulary. Faith is a New Testament concept. All they knew was, God spoke, let me obey. That's what David called a trust, 
Others called it hope. Abraham simply believed. And he did. What is stopping you and I? Good night. The Lord bless you.